What a time we're living in. It's fun uh, for me uh, coming in here to work every day because uh, Wes uh, is at the front door and he's always got the latest and uh, what's happening in the in the states or what's happening in the in the world and and it's it's always worth a laugh or or a cry. <laughs> It's just, it's just interesting times. Um, I, I am very encouraged because, um, um, you know, the, the, there's such polarization. But in the next 60 days, one side or the other is going gonna, is gonna to be proven right. That's, that's an unusual circumstance for us, you know. Some prophetic words you have to hold on to. For long periods of time, you know, I'm still looking for some that I had, yeah, years ago. I was going to say 30, but I'm not that old, so. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, th- stuff that hasn't taken place yet, and um, but this one, this one is is dated. These ones, uh, you know, where they said that Trump is going to be president again, of the second term. Uh, and so they're either going to be right or they're going to be wrong very soon. Now, that's interesting to me. I like that. <laughs> I don't like long-suffering or patience. They're two of my least favorite gifts, but they're the ones that God wants to work on the most with me. <laughs> you ever feel that way? <laughs> it's just so good. Anyway. I want to read, it's okay, I'm, I don't need a mask. <laughs> I want to read from Matthew this morning. Uh, and, and you know, uh, Matthew 25, just so you can turn there. Um, I, I look at these things and I pray about these things, about what to bring and how it relates to us here and now. What does God want to say to us? And then I look at it and say, Lord, how can I bring it? Bye-bye, you guys. How can I bring it in a way that's different? How can I? Like, you, you hear the same word over and over again. Or most people do. I, you know, I, psychologically, you, you start to hear a word, and if it's familiar to you, whether you like it or dislike it, you, you turn it off. You, your mind goes somewhere else because, oh, I know that. Uh, and that, that's the danger with, with um, church, because you get a, a good word, uh, uh, you get a word delivered to you that it can be life-changing, and um, you listen to it, you receive it, and it is good for you. But unless you act upon it, within a certain period of time. I'm not sure what that... I used to know, but... <laughs> uh, say two weeks. If you don't act on it within two weeks, then, then it becomes knowledge, and it doesn't become part of your life. And so in the case of the church, religious knowledge allows us to be pharisaical in 
what we're doing because it hasn't, it hasn't changed our life. If you get a life-changing word, it should change your life. But if it hasn't changed your life, the one that you received, you, you will then, when you hear it the next time, because you will hear it again and again as you come to church, when you hear it the next time, you will say, oh, I know that. And the opportunity for it to move from your head to your heart is removed. And you, you're not going to get that unless you, <laughs> unless you do something unusual. So it's so important that we, when we receive a word from the pulpit, from anywhere, that, that you say, wow, that is really good, that you act upon it and not just file it away. It's, it's, it's important. Because God's word is alive and active. Hello, Kim. Good to see you. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I look at different ways of presenting it, just so that we don't, we're not tempted to say, oh yeah, there it is again, I know that word. And, and this is one of those ones that you've probably heard many times, and so I'll, take, I'll try and take a different tact with it this morning. Um, Matthew 25, verse 1, no, I lied, verse 14. Okay. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But the one, or, or but she, excuse me, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had, uh, who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me the five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, thank you, Lord. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered not seed. So I was afraid. Didn't we sing about that? So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. 
Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I could have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent. Uh, so he took the talent from. Uh, so take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who uh, who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yuck. So that preached itself, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I just got <laughs> convicted there. <laughs> So, look at it a different way. Let's say these servants are investment bankers. Investment bankers seem to make it into the news a lot in this last while. <laughs> Let's say they're, uh, you know, those guys on Wall Street that, that uh, make a ton of money. Those guys take money and make more money for you. They're investment bankers, but because they work for you, they're your servants, right? Someone who works for you is your servant. So here we have investment bankers, let, let's say. Now, according to documents filed with the United States District Court on the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, Michael Donnelly, a former financial advisor, lied to 13 of his clients. All but one were over the age 60, and he stole almost $2 million from them. Now, just be thinking about this for a minute. Years ago, I had a career with the bank. And, and banks are really careful. I mean, over-the-top careful. Um, we were always living in mortal fear of when the auditors would come. Because if, if you got somebody to sign on the wrong line or they went over the line or something, you got written up for <laughs> whatever it was. Um, you, you can't get stuff by bankers these days. They say it's impregnable. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot mess it up. And yet people do. We have a, an election in the States... And they're saying, we have checks and balances. No one can mess that up. Want to bet? <laughs> We're going to find out pretty soon whether you can mess that up or not. But anyway, I wanted to look at investment bankers. So one couple, which was identified in the court documents as victim A and victim B, were 81 and 83 years old. The couple was told by Donnelly as were the others, that if they would invest their financial products with 
um, him and his company, he would provide updates that assured them of their investments and how they were doing. But instead, Donnelly diverted the funds to his own um, personal accounts, and he spent the money on private schools for his children, on cars, on, on, and on golf memberships. The scheme fell apart, and soon the Securities Exchange Commission filed charges in the Federal District of uh, the Court of Philadelphia. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania filed separate criminal charges against him as well. So two different um, uh, areas of concern there, two different sets of charges. Victim A and B um, had been Donnelly's clients since 2003. So in 2008, they had a certificate of deposit come due, and they wanted to know what to do with it. And so uh, he, Donnelly advised them that if they would um, trust him with it, uh, he would invest it at 5.5% return, and they could withdraw their money at any time. So they began to put more and more money in with him, and they ended up investing $800,000. Now, these people are 81 and 83. They invested $800,000 with him, and it was all gone. They're, they're not getting any money back. In 2016, Donnelly was sentenced to 99 months in jail and, and uh, post-prison supervision and ordered to pay restitution uh, and to never be involved with securities and to never act as a financial advisor again. Now, there are a whole bunch of people like that. I, I found um, Aquitaeus Management, they got um, uh, $350 million that they stole. Uh, Robert Lamb store, stole $20 million. Charles Bank store, stole $20 million. Uh, Ash Naran, $33 million, and, and it went on and on. And then there was one that is very famous. This guy was, I think he was predestined to do this. As you listen to his name, <laughs> his name was Madoff. He made off with their money. <laughs> now, now he, he has the record, the worldwide record for the largest Ponzi scheme ever by, by any living human being. He also has a record in the States for the largest financial fund uh, misappropriation. Can you guess in your hearts how much it was? $64.8 billion, billion dollars. <laughs> 4,800 clients, and they were fighting to give him their money. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> and he made off with it all. <laughs> Bernie Madoff. Anyway, he's very famous. <laughs> There's even a movie about him now, if you want to. So in today's gospel, Jesus is t telling a story about a man with some money. Uh, his, um, he turns the money over to three financial advisors. Okay? 
these three financial advisors are going to take his money. Now, we see five talents. We see two talents. We see one talent. Now, I've heard it preached that, you know, he's talking about talents there. You know, it's, you know, like Sue West singing away there is a talent. <laughs> Yeah, but she gave us a wonderful smile after that. You know, she was so proud of her new words. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's a talent <laughs> to, to be able to. <laughs> he was okay. <laughs> well, you know, Christine and I finish each other's sentences, so it's just normal, you know, when you're married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so we look at, at talents. Now, now, what's that mean to you? If you, if, you were, if you heard a story where somebody was given five talents, what's that mean to you? Well, historically, talents were a much bigger um, um, form of currency than a denarii. And if you read the Bible, you know denarii or denarius. Uh, a denarii was what they would uh, pay a man for a day's labor. Okay? So you did a day's labor. Now, if you do a day's labor in the Philippines, you get a dollar. One Philippine dollar, which is nowhere near what... <laughs> uh, they have pesos down there, too. But um, Anyway, up here, let's say you are a laborer and you make 25 bucks an hour. That's a pretty good wage for, like a reasonable wage for a laborer. If you worked eight hours a day, then you would earn a denarii for your time. Okay, I want you to stay with me here. A talent is 6,000 denarii. 6,000 denarii. So if you're a, a modern laborer and you work eight hours a day for 25 bucks an hour, a talent is $1.2 million. $1.2 million. Yeah. So one was given, let's, let's round it down, but one was given $5 million to invest, one was given $2 million to invest, and the third was given a $1 million to invest. Okay? Does that bring it into modern language for you and, and kind of get us a little, a little closer than... The religious knowledge of, well, yeah, five talents, I know that story. So these guys were given some money to invest, and, and they were busy about it. So the master gave $800 or $8 million out, and when he came back, he got $15 million back. You'd think he'd be pretty happy. I don't know how long his time away was, but doubling your money is pretty good. Works pretty good for me. But he didn't quite double his money because he was still owed a million dollars according to the way the first two would uh, look at it. And so he, he rewarded the first two because they were faithful. And he called the other one worthless. 
And I, I suspect that if, the, if we looked in the original Aramaic or Greek, whichever this is written in, depends who you want to listen to as, as far as your theologians are concerned, who would, what the original language was. But let's say it was Aramaic. If you looked in the original Aramaic, they probably had some better words for those guys, or that guy. Worthless is just a, a pleasant name for him. So what if, what if you were Jesus' financial advisor? What if Jesus was trusting you as his financial advisor? Problem is, we are. Each one of us is acting as his servant. Each one of us has been giving, given something to invest in this life. The master in this text, it's pretty clear, is Jesus. The journey is Jesus' ascension or his leaving. The servants are Christians waiting for the second coming. The talents are blessings. Now those can be money, brains, skills, all kinds of things. God has given them to us to use for his glory. The master's return is the second coming. And that could be imminent <laughs> with the way things are going. The master's assessment of the three is, is the final judgment. So, Jesus, Jesus gives us an admonition. He says, watch. <laughs> watch. Know the time, know the hour. But watch. And so in this day, we're having no problem watching, are we? <laughs> Things are heating up. We need to watch for ourselves and watch for our families, but also watch on behalf of the Lord, I think. So he has entrusted us with something. We are his financial advisors. The Lord has given us something to invest. Every one of the disciples understood that. Jesus had given them something. As soon as the Holy Spirit came, he said they would have all that they needed to work out, um, oh, to work on increasing their client's investment. Jesus would uh, soon say to them after this, I am, sending you, um, I am sending you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So each of us, subsequent to that clothing in power that happened in Acts 2, where the... Where the the Holy Spirit descended. Each of us, subsequent to that, have received that power. We've received what Jesus promised the Father was sending. We've received our, our, um, uh, our, 
our orders as his financial advisors, as his servants. And so, what did he give you? I don't know about you, but I find it easy to make excuses for myself. Well, it's that woman you gave me, Lord, or <laughs> no, I don't try that. I know better than that. <laughs> she, she is, she's a gift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or you know my heart, Lord, or one of those things. Or, you know, I, I just don't ever get the time. I'm, I'm busy working so hard. Or, you know, those kind of things. I'm really gentle with myself. But the Lord doesn't buy all of that. He's gentle with me, too, in a beautiful and wonderful way. But, but he doesn't buy any of my excuses. He, he wants me to be about his business. And I alone am accountable before him. I can't blame the society. I can't blame my neighbors. I can't blame my family. I can't blame circumstances. I am accountable before him. He knows it all. And so he doesn't buy my excuses. I'm so sad about that. Some of them have been really good. <laughs> and, and you know, God knew Adam and Eve's heart, didn't he? Their heart wasn't to do anything wrong, <laughs> was it? But it got all of us cast out of the garden. <laughs> he knows our hearts. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, so if we look at Talents beyond, I, I'm just trying to put it into a, a pecuniary or, or a, a, a monetary um, setting. But if we look at it beyond that, we have to take some different considerations. If we're followers of Jesus, if we are vessels of the Holy Spirit of God, we have some form of investment currency given by God to trade, to buy, to barter, to enhance, to use, to grow, to develop, and increase for the glory of God. Each of us has been given something specific. We are Jesus' investment advisors. His investment bankers. We have been given some talents to play with, and remember that the master of the story didn't give his financial advisors the same amounts of cash. He distributed the portfolio of his, uh, based on his assessment of their abilities. And so it is with us. We will not all be given the same amount. So if you see someone who is working out there their talents, like Brian and the, and the crew today. Well, Lord, why didn't you give me that talent? Why am I not allowed to be a worship leader? Well, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and he may have that in, the, in your future. Who knows? He's stirring up stuff in our hearts. He gives us the desires of our heart. But it's important to remember that he has given us something. Even if it's not 
the very thing that you want. Like, I very often go, would, would want to go to him. I don't, but I would want to, and say, Lord, I, I asked you for that ministry on the beaches of Hawaii. I asked you for that Ferrari that Tom Selleck drove in Hawaii. <laughs> but it doesn't do any good because he didn't give that to me. He gave me Cloverdale. And I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful that he gave me Cloverdale. Because <laughs> he knows what he's doing and he knows what I could handle. He knows that I like cowboy boots. <laughs> we have something and that's what matters. The second thing I wanted to look at was another issue becomes clear in the story is that the, the client expects a healthy return. The client, the master in this situation is Jesus. He expects a healthy return on his investment in our lives. Yeah, and that was clear from the story. He fully expects that on his return, he will discover that his investment bankers have made a pile of cash, and of course he intends to reward them appropriately. We cannot fall into the error of thinking that God is not interested in how we are spending the blessing given to us, it's disappointing when talents and blessings, brains and resources are squandered and underutilized. God expects a return. Just, just think about that for a minute. He expects a return on what he's invested in our lives. Third thing, this is the last uh, kind of observation that I'm making today is that the investment and the return on investment, the ROI, is solely for the benefit of the client. Okay? The master of the story entrusted his three financial advisors with cash. They were not to use this, invest, or this money to spend on their kids going to private school, buying yachts for cruising the Mediterranean, or for membership in their country club. These funds were to be used for his benefit only. Often we forget that our purposes on earth are not just to take up space and fill our barns with grain or line our pockets with cash for our own use and personal glory. And if you want to check that out, check out the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. Verse 16 to 21. Rather, the Lord says that we should take time to worship with others. I found four specific references to the call of God for us to worship with others. Not, not, to, not to forsake the assembly. You guys here, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this one. Because you've made the effort, and you've decided to meet with us here. The government would have you believe that you're taking your life into your hands to come here and be with other people that may be infected 
those people might have it. Well, those people do have it, and it's called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you're coming here to be with them. They just don't get that part of it. But take time to worship with others. Colossians 3.15, if you wanted to mark that down. Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. Acts 2.42 and Ephesians 5, verse 19. We're also called to love our neighbors in order, or in, in other words, to invest in people. Invest your life in people around you. Focus on our spiritual gifts. Be kind and helpful. And to demonstrate hospitality. That, that's a particularly hard one in this society, in this day and age, because you're not supposed to have any guests to your house. But there's, there's ways to, to be hospitable yet. You have phone numbers of people. Phone them and make them feel at home. <laughs> make them feel comfortable. Make, encourage them. <laughs> Note that these are just some opportunities that we have to bring our investments to bear good fruit. <laughs> the text tells us that the master's three advisors, as we're calling them, use two strategies. And this is important because of, of some of the stuff that we were singing. The first two fellas alleged, or the first two fellas took the same approach. The third took a different approach. The first two got an astounding and resounding 100% return. They doubled the master's investment. They went and they invested. They went and they did something with what they had. They did it right away. And that speaks to me of love. I think that they loved their master in the story. Because love will make you do more than hate will ever make you do. You'll go way out of your way if you love somebody. But you'll only do the required amount if you're being told to in a, in, a, in a hateful way or a fearful way. I think that just to, just to uh, round it out here, I think that the third guy, the guy that took the money, or it could be a gal too, who knows, but uh, equal opportunity, right? <laughs> Let's say she... <laughs> <laughs> went and, and dug a hole and buried the money because it says she was afraid. She was afraid. Fear makes you do things just enough. She didn't want to lose it. She didn't want to take chance with it. She, did it, she wanted to do just 
enough. Fear made her move within the boundaries that she was given. Love and the other side of things, the first two, I believe that they moved taking a little chance because they knew they had that latitude. They knew who it was that they were dealing with, and they knew that he would cover them somehow. When we take a chance for God, and we're wanting to extend his kingdom, it's wonderful how he covers us. It's wonderful how he, he moves with us. We can make mistakes, and, and somehow it wasn't a mistake when the, the end of the day comes, because he's covering us as we're doing it for him. But when we move in fear, everything changes. We, we, come, we choose to come out from under the cover of love and into a place where we're kind of open to the enemy. We make ourselves available to the enemy. We have been given something to do to increase our master's portfolio. Love motivates far more than fear. We can hone our skills, put our resources uh, to good use, and see every day an opportunity to serve the Lord. Or we can live for ourselves. We can put all of, our, all of the blessings that God has given us on the shelf and use those things for our own, own desires. We can refuse to risk kindness, hospitality, and loving others, and instead let it be all about ourselves. We are, are being given a choice. We can live in a theocentric world, theocentric, theo is God, God-centric world, or we can live in an egocentric world. Ego is uh, the, the inner man. So we live for ourselves or we live for God. We can trade or we can be afraid. We can display God's investment or we can bury it in a hole. We can risk or we can run. But someday God will ask us what we've done. What then shall we say? And what then shall, shall he say? I, I, I want to hear at the end of it all, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy the things that God has set out for you. I think that in this day and this hour, we're being called like, like the church has not been called for a long time. We're being called to be about the business of the king. Put aside the business of the world, the stuff that they've convinced us that we need. Right? How many wonderful times have you heard, you deserve a break today? 
the stuff works, you know, we all believe it. But if we only have a short time left, and what, what is a short time, 10 years, 15 years, I don't know. But if we only have a short time left, what are you going to do with it? Yes, I'm talking to you, Steve, and I'm talking to myself as well. Kind of like uh, what I'm thinking of is frontline workers. The world talks about the frontline workers. Well, who's the frontline workers in the in the kingdom of God? Yeah. We are. Yeah, that's it. And the frontline workers in the world are putting themselves at risk from from day one. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think that's an exclamation mark. Well done, John. So as his frontline investment bankers, <laughs> what are we doing with the investment that God has entrusted with us? He has entrusted eternal value in each of us. Are we squandering it? Or are we investing it? I'm, I'm not trying to... Like Brian sang a beautiful song about the... the Streets of gold, and, and uh, the street has no name, the street has no shame. I'm not trying to bring shame. What I'm talking about this morning is, let's, let's take an account in our lives. What are, we, what are we spending our lives on? And has it, has it given us the kind of return that we would be satisfied with, let alone what God would be satisfied with? You spend your life on God, you, you will be satisfied. You spend your life on yourself, and you will find yourself wanting more at the end of the day. That's just the way it is. So I think God this morning is saying, let's look at the balance sheet. I got you covered. I love you. Take a little chance with the investment that I've given you. Put it to use. Does that mean that everybody has to become a missionary to Africa? No. No, God's put you where he wants you. Bloom where you're planted. You have people that you come in contact with one way or the other every week. Be kind to them. Develop relationship with them, it, which doesn't have to be any more than saying hi, knowing their name, and in two or three weeks, they're, they're going to talk to you. They're going to they're say, good day to you, and change the, the measure of your relationship. And then as they get to know you, and you tell them, well, I'm a Christian, you know, and, and they may reject that right away, but but they know who to turn to when the time comes. Right now, they may not know who you are or what you are or anything. Invest a little and watch what God does with it. Because I think that God himself blew upon the, the, the investments that the 
the guy who had five talents made. I think God himself blew upon the investment that the, the guy with two talents had. And they doubled. How fast did they double? We don't know. Was it just at the end of time? You know, like, oh, the master's coming. I better get my money. Or, or did, was it earlier so that they were at peace the whole time? Brian, you got something? Well, I, just, I just think it's interesting that... Uh, I find it interesting that, that uh, the, the third servant thought he knew his master. You're a hard man. And he didn't know him. He thinks he did, right? That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> that reminds me, you know, working with, working with people on the street, um, they want to impress you sometimes. They know who I am. And um, they, 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 if they're talking to me, they'll say, well, the big guy upstairs. As soon as they say that, I know they don't have a relationship with him. Right? But if they say, the Lord, then I want to delve in a little closer to see if they do know him or not, because there's a door there. But if they're, if they're keeping a distance, well, the, the guy upstairs, then they don't know him. And what Brian was just saying was that this guy thought he knew the master. You are a hard man. You, you expect a return where you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't put money in. You, know? you didn't sow your seed in these in this ground, and you still expect a return. That's hard. I'm afraid. He, he says in the, in the text that he was afraid. People are afraid of God, and that keeps them from him. But people who love him draw near to him and are about his business. And you here today, I know you love God because you, you have gone out of your way to be amongst the people of God in a time where it could cost you. This, um, <laughs> I'll end with this. It reminds me of a story that came out of Holland um, in the Second World War. A little church in, in a little town in Holland was meeting and they were singing on a Sunday morning. And the people were enjoying the presence of God. And then the the two main doors, I picture it at the back. I, I, I never saw the, the, the actual church, but I, I picture two doors at the back open up and in come a Nazi company of men. And they walk down the sides of the church, both sides and along the front. And then as they reach there, the the commander comes in and walks right down the center aisle, turns to them and says, if you are not willing to die for your faith, you have two minutes to leave the church. Well, the pandemonium was, <laughs> was huge. People were tripping over each other, trying to get out of the church. But in the end, there were a handful of people left, resolutely praying, oh God, oh God, oh God. That's my favorite prayer in situations like that. Very eloquent. And so the commander says, okay, anybody else not willing to die for their faith? No one moved. And he said, 
Pastor, carry on with the service. We wanted to worship with real Christians. <laughs> Apparently, that's a true story. But that, that sticks with my heart. <laughs> I, I want to be found faithful. I do not want to be found in fear. I believe that fear is the opposite of faith, and I believe that what they're trying to sell us in this day and this hour is one great big ribbon-packed fear blanket that we can, <laughs> we can live in fear in every way today, or we can live in faith. I'm speaking to people of faith because you're here today. You've chosen to come here to worship as real Christians. And my hat is off to you for that. Let's stand. It's not a secret, Steve. <laughs> that's, that's direction from the boss. <laughs> Sometimes it's, we're, we're not all real Christians. That's what she was, <laughs> we're, we're just here because it's convenient, but you know, there is some of that, but my heart is that we be seen as real Christians. I choose to look at you as, as people that I would go to war with, not against or with. <laughs> and I am proud in this day and this hour to be with you going through what I think is the end times with people that understand and people that are willing to pay a price. And you are. And so I love that. Let's pray. Wonderful, delightful master. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you have made the biggest investment in the history of the universe in us, your people. You have invested in us the Holy Spirit. The price you paid was the highest price ever. The death of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, we, we are your investment in bankers. We are your investment in advisors, and we want to be found faithful. So Lord, as we read your word, let it, let it uh, sink into our hearts, and let us, let us respond to it so that it doesn't become religious knowledge again, so that it becomes something that has changed our lives, because your word is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. You are able to do things that, that no one else can. And so, Lord, would you change our hearts? Some of us, some of the people here I know just need a little 
a little change in tra trajectory, a little change in direction. Some of us need a kind of a 90 degree change. <laughs> but you know the ones that need what? I don't. And you're not sharing that with me right now, Lord, so bless you in that. You cover us and you love us each individual. But one day we're going to come before you and we want to be able to lay it all at your feet and say, there you are. There's your investment and there's the return that you get on it. What do you think of that? Let us all hear, well done. Whatever little that we got to invest, however much we got to invest, let us hear you say, well done. Because nothing is worth more than that in this life. I bless each one that's here in your name, Lord. I thank you that you go with each of us every step of the way. You're with us every second of the week. So would you, would you allow us to walk with you with joy and the understanding that we love you and you love us, that we are not to have to be afraid of you, afraid of what the consequences will be if I try something, afraid that you'll be looking for something more than I have to give. You just want us to love you. And that love will bring fruit and bring return, interest upon interest. Good measure, shaken together, pressed down and running over. So thank you, Lord, for all of these people, the people of your pasture. You are so in love with us and we with you. Would you bless each one this morning as we go from here. Help us to uh, see the opportunities to invest further in your kingdom this week because I believe that you'll be bringing opportunities. And we bless you for this time and, and your purposes. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, there'll be people at the front to pray with you. Um, bless you. Go in peace.